You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. So if you would stand with me, we're reading uh, God's Word today, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 11 through 12, 3. Now faith is a certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen, for by it the people of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the world has been created by the word of God, so that what is seen has not been made by, made out of things that are visible. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, uh, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the powers of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weaknesses, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and flogging, and further chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, They were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They were about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, on mountains, and shearing, sheltering in caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they could not be made perfect. Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle in the sin of which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thank you. Please be seated. Some of you are saying, man, that was a long passage. Yes, I know. (laughs) You'll you'll understand why in a minute. Um, It has... (laughs) If you're, if you're nervous, that is, is Pastor Keith going to preach through every single verse of here? No, no, I'm not. I'm actually just going to summarize uh, some thoughts that I had. But again, before I do that, thank you so much for those cards. I look forward to, to uh, reading those. It was a surprise. I totally did not expect that. So I'm still um, racking my brain over that one. So cool. Great job of keeping secrets. <laughs> I don't think anybody slipped. So, and if they did, I didn't catch on. Uh, make sure before you know, if if you have not received one of these communion cups, with uh, grab one of those. They're in the back. We're going to actually celebrate communion uh, when I'm finished my sermon as we enter into uh, the song that that will you know come after that. But this is what I want to do is uh, just I want to kind of bring everything, not everything, but bring the main point, the main gist of what we were thinking about together as we were working through Malachi together, as we were studying Malachi together. Uh, I just want us to, to think about that. But I, I've said this before, and, and I honestly, I'm telling you, the, I'm telling you the truth. 
I do not, I am not smart enough to be able to plan, you know, my sermon series out so that they kind of correlate with one another. But I thought it would be fun uh, as I was, well, first, here, let me explain what was happening during my week. It was a really busy week. I I had lots lots of uh, conversations and meetings. And for whatever the reason, I, ha- I struggled with being, being able to sit down and actually write out my manuscript. I didn't write my manuscript until Friday. Uh, and so I usually start that on Thursday, and I have an outline down by Wednesday. And I, it was just, it was a struggle for me. I, uh, <laughs> I, when I, that doesn't happen every week, but every once in a while when it does, I remember what uh, 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 Howard Hendricks said, some years ago, something that only a guy would say, but when he was describing sometimes when it, when it comes to sermon preparation, he was sharing this with, with his class, he said, uh, sermon preparation is like giving birth to barbed wire. Um, I've seen birth. I didn't feel like I was giving birth to barbed wire this week, but man, it was, it was, a, it was a struggle <laughs> working on my sermon Five years ago, on this week, not knowing that you were going to do this, but with the Romans 8 thing and just amazing, uh, I, I, I thought I'd just revisit five years ago. I knew what I preached on five years ago. Uh, I preached on Isaiah chapter 6 as my first sermon as the pastor or lead pastor of Meadowbrook Church. I wanted that to set the tone for my pastoral ministry and, t- uh, and my role as a teaching pastor here for Meadowbrook for the years to come. I'm not going to get into that sermon. Uh, it's probably not on our website. Uh, we're working on getting all the sermons onto our new website, but it will be eventually. But I had two points in that sermon. There was, uh, the first point was God calls us to know him, and the second point was God calls us to send us. And uh, my whole desire with the whole Malachi series is just for us to go dive back into, into what does it mean to, to, to worship the Lord as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I think it was like seven weeks before my sermon as a my first sermon as the pastor of Meadowbrook. Seven weeks before that, I preached my candidating sermon, which was interesting. So I just thought, well, I wonder, I wonder if there's any you know, parallel between my candidating sermon and the sermon I preached, you know, that would mark five years um, from that date, which was in Malachi, by the way. It was the, the, second por- the second half of Malachi chapter one. And the passage I chose to preach on was, was uh, 1 Peter chapter two on what it means to be a royal priesthood uh, that belonged to God and a kingdom of priests. I didn't plan that. You know, here we are five years uh, later, and we're still talking about the same themes. In my sermon, the first sermon I preached as a pastor of Meadowbrook on uh, Isaiah chapter 6, I basically, I just had, I had seven points. There were, there were short points. Uh, there were seven points, and that was simply this. God is alive. God is sovereign. God is great. God is majestic. God is God. God is holy. And God is missional, meaning he is on mission. 
And, and here we are, five years later, I, I, we finished up Malachi. Uh, I, I want to just kind of bring things together for, you know, to just kind of wrap it up. I want you to leave here helped. I want you to leave here uh, with just, just walking away with, okay, here are some things I can do as a follower of Jesus to just to get to know him more, to get to know God more. And, and so uh, that's my goal today. Last week, I said there were three types of fear that, uh, that were connected to, to our response to God. There was dread, there was terror. These are three different Hebrew words. And then there was reverence. Kind of a, uh, I, I, I respond to him in reverence. Dread and terror may cause you to, to, turn, to, to flee from the presence of God. But the third fear, reverence, will compel you to move closer to him. That's what I talked about last week. Uh, those who, <laughs> this passage that I mentioned before we prayed, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened uh, attentively and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written you know, before him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name, and they will be mine, says the Lord of armies, on the day I prepare my possession, and I will have compassion for them, just as a man has compassion for his own son. This idea of possession, they will be my kingdom of priests, they will be my people, they will belong to me. So, so that's just one element of, like, what, what is an attribute, or what is that one characteristic that is true of all the people of God? And what I mean by people of God, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or those Old Testament saints that are described for us in Hebrews. I, I, I think I can make a very strong case to show you that there are three characteristics, three characteristics that are true of the person who belongs to, to God, true of the person who has been, who, who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, I bounced this off, the sermon title off of the elders uh, on, on Thursday evening uh, because my outline was done, and I told them this is what I was thinking. I was joking. They laughed. One of them said, I don't know if I want to come on Sunday. Uh, and, and the title of my, my sermon is The Three F Words of the Christian Life. Yeah, someone's like, oh, no, don't worry. I don't. <laughs> Get your head out of the gutter. No. Um, the three F words of the Christian life. And I'm just, this is my outline. Fear, faith, and fellowship. That is true of every person who belongs to the Lord. Fear, faith, and fellowship. Now, is it, all, is it, is it sequential? Fear and then faith and fellowship? No, is, they overlap. It's messy. Uh, they're, they're, they're like all in the same box. <laughs> um, if you were to put them in a box. And so I just want to unpack this for you. This is what we see. Like, this is why I asked <clears throat> Jim, excuse me. This is why I asked Jim, uh, one of our elders, to, to read Hebrews chapter 11 into those first three verses of chapter 12. Because we see it with the, uh, each individual, these men and women who are listed in this, as, as uh, Bible scholars call it, the hall of faith, you know, Hebrews chapter 11, as they're listed here. This is true of each of these individuals. And so I just, we'll just work through each of these. Fear. Fear is a reverent fear that compels the Christian to lean into God. That's the kind of fear I'm talking about. It's reverence. How does this reverence you know, come about? It comes about through an understanding of who this God is. The more you understand who he is, the more you get to know him, the, 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 the greater your fear, the greater your reverence for him will become. 
I've been walking with the Lord since 1991. It's been a, it's been a messy waltz for me. Uh, it, it, you, you look at my life, it, it's, it's kind of messy. Uh, but I can tell you that the more I've gotten to know the God of the Bible, that has grown in my heart. I, I, I am convinced and I am compelled that I can run into the presence of God. I can run to him out of reverence and respect and, and, and fear because of, because of my knowledge of who he is. Uh, it is not a dread, and it, it is not a terror. Now, when I sin against him, there is a fear, there is a dread that sometimes I experience. Uh, sometimes I don't experience that dread where I ought to experience that dread. But I keep going back to the, I know who my God is and what my God says about me. And listen, if you're a Christian in this room, and most of you, if not all of you are, if, if, if whatever you do, what you can know and what I keep going back to is that this God loves you and you belong to him. You belong to him. Romans chapter 8, right? You know, there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all over Romans chapter 8, but so is fear, uh, faith, and, and fellowship. And I'm going to talk about fellowship in a little bit and what I mean by that. <clears throat> like Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, I'll just, we looked at this last week. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Well, well if my, what is that fear? It's that reverent fear again. It's the same Hebrew word that means to revere the Lord. Where does that reverence of the Lord, what does that do? It, it compels me, it emboldens me, and encourages me to turn away from evil. If I'm turning away from evil, who am I turning towards? Well, the Lord, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. It's uh, from, from Genesis all the way through. Like if you think about these individuals that are listed in Hebrews, like who, you know, what inspired Abel to offer a better sacrifice than Cain. It was fear. It was a reverent fear of who God was. What did Cain lack? A reverent fear for who God is and was. Yeah, and so Cain, that's why Cain murdered Abel, because he did not fear the Lord. He was willing to destroy someone who, who bore the image of Almighty God because he didn't fear him. But Abel feared him, and it shaped his worship. Uh, what was it that compelled Abraham to obey God by leaving the city of Ur to go to a place that he didn't know where he was going? Like we're told, like he didn't know where he was going. God said, okay, pack up, go, let's, let's get out of Ur, and I will show you. He didn't say, hey, you're going to travel about 400 and some miles, and you're going to get to this land, and you'll notice a rock, a big giant boulder rock on your right-hand side. It'll be a sign, turn this way. Like, that wasn't the instructions he gave Abraham. He said, get up, back up, and go, and I will eventually show you the land that I'm going to give to you. What compelled him to do that? It was a growing fear of who God was, a reverent fear. It's, <laughs> Listen, this fear I'm talking about, is, it, it's married to, it's linked to, it's related to, whatever word you want to say, use, to a knowledge of who God is. You're, you're, as you pursue him, as you get to know him, as your knowledge grows in him, so will this reverent fear of who he is. Um, 
biblical fear of God will lead to obedience. Not perfect obedience, because we're messed up people. Um, like I said, my Christian life can be described as a waltz, <laughs> right? It's all over the place. I'm moving forward, but it's a crawl sometimes. And I think you probably could relate um, and, and maybe uh, describe it in the same way. It, what, motivated, what motivated Moses to suffer ill treatment? He could, have, he could have received all the riches of Egypt. What motivated him to refuse that? It was fear. It was fear of, of this God. And remember, like, he... <laughs> He, there was a dread. We see this in Moses' life, right? So he, raised, he was raised up to kind of get, he, he understood or he was taught of who God was by uh, those around him, even though he was growing up in Pharaoh's household. He saw an Egyptian guard, we know this because he saw an Egyptian guard abusing and, be, and, and beating up a, a Hebrew slave. Moses got angry and he killed, he murdered the Egyptian guard and what did Moses do? He fled. Why did he flee? Out of dread and terror over what Pharaoh might do to him. Then after 40 years of just hanging out in the wilderness, in the desert, he encounters a burning bush, wants to go check it. Like, he's like, well, I never saw this before. He goes and checks out this burning bush, and that's where God encountered him. And so his knowledge of who God was started to be connected to like his heart, and and, and so God said, take off your sandals for the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. And then what did God do? God commissioned him, called him to be on mission to go back to Egypt and to, and to lead his people out of the bondage of, of slavery. It was, it was fear. It was that reverent fear that, it, that emboldened and motivated Moses to say no to the riches of Egypt and yes to suffering and pain for the glory of God. And the same thing, like when we, when, when we come to chapter 12 in Hebrews, like, what is it that emboldens the Christian to run with endurance? And if you've ever been in endurance sports, have you ever done anything like that? Wrestling, I think, could be that. Like we were at a wrestling meet for a tournament because uh, Steph is in, you know, in wrestling, and he, it was his third and final match, and it... It, it was like nine to zero. I'm, I'm going to boast a little bit about my son. I was, I was, I was a proud dad. Um, but he was, I kept telling him, and I learned that he couldn't hear me anyway. He got those head things on his ears. I'm like yelling. He's like, I didn't hear a word you said. I'm like, well, it made me feel better. Uh, <laughs> but he, yeah, it was like nine zero. Like the other, the other uh, person, his uh, opponent was beating him. And in the third round, he, he pit, Seth would just kept, I mean, he was huffing and puffing. He was breathing, he was breathing heavy. He was like, he, 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 I learned like during that match, the kid had his elbow on Seth's throat and he could barely breathe. And, and uh, he just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And because I told him, I said, you know, there's a wall like with runners, that runners experience, that cyclists experience, and anybody who's in, endured in, any form of endurance type sport where you hit this wall and your body is telling you, or your brain is telling you, you can't go, you can't do anymore. You, you can't, it, like, this is it. And you gotta press beyond that. You gotta push beyond that. You gotta go beyond, past the wall. And, uh, and that's what Seth did. And he pinned, he pinned his opponent and he won. Um, this is what, this is what's being, like, 
described here in chapter 12. Run with endurance. It's not a sprint. It's an, it's, an, it's an endurance race. Run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking only to Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith. Like, what do you, when you're running um, in any type of, like, in a race, if you look back, what does that do to you? It slows you down. It slows you down. Uh, if you're on the mat and you're wrestling and, and you're thinking about your next opponent and you're not thinking about the person you're, 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 that's in front of you, what does it do? It hinders your, your, your skill level. You, you might lose. Um, it, I mean, it's true of everything. And so what is it that emboldens the Christian to run with endurance the race that's set before us? Fear. A reverent fear of, of who God is that grows and deepens only as our understanding of him grows and deepens. Like, if you know that God is good based on not just what you're reading in the Bible, based on your experience, when the hard things in life happen to you, you'll be able to go to that truth. God is good. And you'll be able to press on, under, knowing that I can trust that he's good, even though I don't see where this is leading. I know he's leading me. Uh, it's, it's all over the place. What compels a man or a woman or even a child to worship God, even, even when they know to do so, may cost them even their lives. Like Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, they were stoned. It's talking about saints of old who looked to the promise of, of this deliverer, of this savior, of this king of kings, of this Jesus. They, they looked to the promise. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's painful, <laughs> right? They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world is not worthy, wandering in deserts on mountains and sheltering in caves and holes in the ground. Does that sound fun? No. Um, but why, why did they endure? What was it that compelled them to endure? It was fear of who God was. It was an understanding of who he was that compelled them to keep pressing forward. Like, this is true of, of every person that belongs to God, every person that knows God, every person who's known by God. It's a growing reverent fear of who he is. And this is why Daniel, in Daniel chapter 11, listen, verse 32, it says this. Ready? Let's read this together. But the people who know their God will be strong and take action. That's what, that, that's, what that's talking about. What was true of Daniel's life? When he was put in the lion's den, he went into the lion's den knowing that they, I may die or I may not die. It's up to God. It was fear. Fear of who God is, not dread of what the lions could do. You know, Jeremiah wrote to a people going into exile or in exile, and he said, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, let, nor let the mighty man boast of his might, nor the a rich man boast in, of his riches, but let the one who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises mercy, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. That's what will deepen your fear of who God is, which leads me to the second thing, and that is faith. That's the second characteristic, faith, a trust in God that deepens as the Christian knows him more, knows God more. Your faith will deepen. I promise you, your faith will only deepen as your understanding of who God is increases, as will your fear of him. You know, the opening verse in chapter 11 of Hebrews, faith is what? 
the certainty of things hoped for a proof of things not seen. You're certain that, these, that, God, that this God exists. <clears throat> How many of you were at the, you know, at the tomb when Jesus walked out of it on Resurrection Day? <laughs> Nobody, Right? But if, if I asked you to raise your hand, how many of you are convinced that it happened? Yeah, I didn't even ask you to raise your hand. But good. <laughs> yeah, all of you. Just about all of you. Yeah, he rose from I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. I think there's, I mean, there's tangible evidence that the, that the resurrection happened. But we weren't there when it actually happened, but we're convinced that it did. And so <clears throat> faith is the certainty of, of, of things hoped for. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, the very first two. I, one of these days I want to preach through Hebrews. This is such a great, um, it's actually a sermon. It's a sermon that was written uh, to be read in the hearing of these suffering Christians. But the, very, the first couple of verses in, in the very first chapter says, uh, to the fathers, that, that, that God has revealed himself to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in, in many ways. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son. The most perfect revelation of who God is is his son, Jesus. And, and so, like, this is how he's revealed himself. And we can set our eyes on him, set our affections on him. Uh, it is a faith that begins with a rational, rational and intellectual understanding that in the beginning God existed. I don't need to understand, you know, how that works. I can trust that it happened. And that there's a, there's a purpose and design behind all of creation. You know, w- when it comes to the atheists and, it come, and, and, the, and the creationists, so we'll, we'll, creationists, is, doesn't, it's not just Christians, but, it's, but other faiths, but we'll, we'll, just, we'll just say this. Each of, these, <clears throat> each of these groups start with what is called a presupposition. You know what the presupposition is? Well, one, it's like you, you arrive, it's a, it's a, it's a group of, um, convictions or a conviction that you have that you bring with you um, and so you have both of these groups one group says that everything happened by accident right that's just we're here by random chance the other group the creationist says no there's a design behind us neither one of these groups witnessed the actual creation or, the, or evolution of, you know, of everything's coming into a being. You arrive at a presupposition. For the creationist, <clears throat> which includes the, the Christian, we believe God did it. We think that makes the most sense. There's a verse for the, for the other group, and, and it's in Psalms. <clears throat> we celebrate this person every April 1st, right? The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Uh, God exists. And so, by faith, we understand verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 11. We understand that the world has been created by the word of God so that what is seen has not been made out of things that are visible. God did it. And so, as our understanding of him grows, so does our fear, and so does our, uh, so does our faith deepen. I keep going back to the fact that if God spoke the galaxies into existence, if he raises the dead from the grave, if he parts seas, then then what are the difficult things in my life for him? Like, what, what are they? And when I read Isaiah chapter 40, and it says that, that the nations are like a drop in the bucket and, the, and all the military might of, uh, of, of our world combined, of all the nations, is like dust on the scales. What is it? Like the, like the stuff that I'm struggling with, what is that to God? 
Like, uh, does, does he look at my, the, the junk of my life and say, or the problems in my life and say, well, I didn't think about that one. Or that one's a little too big for me to handle, Keith. I think I'm just going to wait for that until I you know, build up some more energy. Like, no. <laughs> like, my understanding of who he is uh, results in I know that he can handle my stuff. I know that my sins are not so great that his grace and his mercy cannot overcome. I know that because not only do, because of what I see around me, but I know that because there's an empty tomb. That's how I know that. And, and so all these people... And throughout Hebrews chapter 11, we're looking for something, longing for something. And what was true of them was fear for God, fear of God, a reverence for him, and a faith that continued to deepen. How, how, I mean, why else would you hide in caves? Like, what else would compel you to hide in caves or, or to, because of your conviction of who God is and the death sentence that was, was given because of your faith in God, why would you hold on to that? Why would you hold on to that faith? Because you know it's true. There's this growing fear, and this growing faith in the God of all creation. This is true of, from, from Genesis through Revelation, we see this. And so it's the type of faith that emboldens the Christian to run with endurance. <laughs> That's reassuring to me. Like, I am so happy that the author of Hebrews put the word endurance in that verse. Like, there are no super Christians. There are no Christians walking around with capes, you know, like with, like we all, we all got our junk and our, the sins that, 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 that we struggle with. This is like <laughs> chapter 12 of Hebrews says, therefore, since what? We collectively, <laughs> like all of us, all of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and sin which so easily entangles us. Like, none of us is, uh, are, are beyond temptation. None of us are beyond uh, falling into the snare of sin. Like, all of us have the same danger that lurks around us. And he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or the originator of our faith, and, and, and keep our eyes on him and throw away the sin that so easily entangles us. And how do you do that? A reverence for, for this God that can only grow, go deeper the more you understand and know him. How can you get to know God deeper? Like This is like not rocket science. Like We're given a book. We're people of the book when it comes to you know, our faith. God has revealed himself in the book, and he's revealed himself in and through the person and work of his son, Jesus. Like, so how does our understanding of him increase? By, by learning of who he is you know, in the book, setting our eyes on, this, on Jesus, who is the great theme of the book. From Genesis all the way through Revelation, he's the theme. He's the linchpin between uh, Malachi and Matthew and the four to 500 years of silence between those, those time periods, from the time period of the, from, from the last prophet who spoke to the first cry in the manger. It's about 400 to 500 years. And this can't happen unless your reverence of him moves you to know him more. And as you know him more, so your, your faith will deepen. This is where I talk about like the, the, the ship of your faith. Like picture your faith as a sailboat. 
and there's a ballast the bottom of, uh, at the bottom of your, that boat, and the, and the deeper the ballast goes, the less likely the storms of sea will capsize the, your faith. And this is how your ballast goes deeper, which leads me to the third point, and that is fellowship. Fellowship, it's a union in God that overflows into community with his people. This is why I said, like, you, you can't do the Christian life alone. There are no Lone Ranger Christians in God's economy. And, and I get this from uh, the, the chapter 10, which precedes chapter 11, where the author of Hebrews says, look, you, you, let us, let's spur one another on to, let's encourage one another on to love and good deeds. Let's not forsake the assembling of, with one another. Like, we need each other. And then right after he says that, he, says, he, he, he talks about the dangers of sin. Like, how, how am I best able to address the sins in my life is if I do that in, within community with my brothers and, sis, and sisters in Christ. But before we even get there, our fellowship is a union with this God who made us in his image. Like, it's not just fear and it's not just faith, but it's union with him. It's fellowship with him. This is organic. It's not... It's not, um, it's not just head knowledge. This is like it involves everything about you. This is what Malachi was getting at. Like this, is, this is why Malachi is in our Bible. It shows us this is what worship looks like. If, you, if this is what worship looks like as a way of life, it's more than Sunday morning. It's more than just picking up your Bible and reading a few verses. It's everything. It's, it's the core of your being. It's who you are. It's fellowship with the Almighty. It's a divine romance. It, it, it's, it's intimacy with him. Like that, that's the, and we see that in Hebrews chapter 11. Like the, the, character, the, the, the other trait, the third trait that was true of each of these individuals who walked with the Lord was fellowship with the Lord. This is why they didn't, they didn't, their faith wasn't shipwrecked when things got hard. This is why whoever it was, some think it was the actual. Some think it was uh, the prophet Isaiah who was sawn in two. I, I don't know. But can you imagine what it was like as you're lying there, and you got somebody threatening to saw your body in half um, because of what you believe? I mean, if like if if what we believe is just a fable and it's just a story, it gotta be like I'm out. <laughs> I'll, I'll sign me up for something else to believe in uh, to avoid being cut in half. Why would somebody endure that? Well, that somebody was, was in fellowship with the God of all creation. He was convinced, or she, maybe it was a she, he or she was convinced that this God was real and legit and, and, and was convinced of that not just based on what he or she read, but what he or she was experiencing throughout their life. In, in union with God. If you're a Christian, so I want you to hear this. It's like, like what we're seeing in chapter 11 here is not stuff that you have to do in order to belong to God. Don't let anybody, anybody teach you or dupe you into thinking that you have to do something in order to be saved by the God of all creation. That's my whole sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount. You bring absolutely nothing to the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing. 
There's nothing that we bring. And listen, you can, and this is the whole point of Hebrews, from, cut, from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 13, the whole point of Hebrews is you can add nothing to Jesus. Nothing. You, 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 your devotional time in the Word doesn't, doesn't gain you access into heaven. Communion, which we're going to, we're going to do in a few minutes, uh, doesn't gain you access into heaven. Baptism doesn't gain you into access into heaven. Only Jesus. Read Galatians sometimes. Paul's like, who's bewitched you people? Like, because there were these Judaizers, these people who came in and said, you need to be men, Christian men, you need to be physically circumcised, just like Abraham was, in order to, in order to make your salvation complete. And Paul's like, who bewitched you? What, what person duped you into believing that lie? And so as we go into like, this whole point of fellowship, like, there's nothing I can do to add to my salvation. Look, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 through 40. These were all commended for their what? For their faith. For their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had you know, planned something better for us so that only together with us would, would they be made perfect. Meaning, the Old Testament saints in chapter 11, they were looking to the promise, but they didn't gain it. They didn't gain it until after death. And then we are the New Testament saints. We look back, and we look back to the promise, and the promise is Jesus Christ. And we have him. Like, the promise is not a what. It is a who. <laughs> and the who is Jesus. He is the promise. That is, what may, that's what, that is our guarantee for, for salvation. It's him. Everything he did on the cross. This is why, this is why it's so important that, that we wrap our minds around it, be, around that truth, because that will, that will inform our fear of him, our understanding of him. It will inform our faith, and it will inform our fellowship with him. That I, I am able to pursue him, I, I am able to believe in him and trust him, and I have fellowship with him, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done on my account. I, I, I just, I don't know how to make that any more clear. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse, the first three verses. <laughs> if you have a Bible, you might want to look at this. Um, God, after he spoke long ago, and the words will be on the screen, by the way, um, but you might want to circle some words. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also, or he also made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. What is it saying? It's saying Jesus is God. That's what it's saying. He's God. Um, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. And then look, look at this, the, verse 3. When he made purification of sins. What, what was it that he did to make purification of sins? He went to the cross. He lived the life we could never live. He went to the cross and bore the penalty for our sins upon himself. So it says that he, uh, when he did that, when he did that, he sat down after he did that. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you know what the Levitical priest did all day long? They stood up. Do you know why they stood up? Because there was no sacrifice that could permanently remedy the sin problem of the people. 
It was continual. And that was the point. That was the point. You, you, you need something better than this. And, and what you're doing right now, you know, priest in Malachi you know, or in Jerusalem, like what you're doing now is pointing you to something greater. And what we're told in Hebrews, that something greater is Jesus. It's not a something, it's a who. It's, it's Jesus. And when he made purification of sins, this is like the, this is the proof that Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is legit. He sat down. He didn't have to continue standing up. He sat down because his sacrifice for sins was, listen, once and for all. That's why you can't do anything to earn your salvation. This is why I believe you cannot lose your salvation. This is why uh, I, the Bible teaches that there's nothing you can do to add to your salvation. It's Jesus and him alone. But as a result of placing your faith and trust in him, what does that do? It, it, you go from being, I said this last week, you go from being dead to being alive. And all the evidence of being spiritually alive is what's seen. That's why if you've not been baptized, you should want to be baptized, not because you want to add something to what Christ did, but because of obedience to, what, to Christ. Uh, when we celebrate communion, we celebrate communion not because we're adding something to what Christ did, but because of response, in response to what Christ has already done. Yeah, Hebrews, I'm wrapping this up here. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Every priest stands daily ministering. This is verse 11, and the words are on the screen. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice, speaking of Jesus, for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time onward until his enemies are made a footstool of his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Guess who, guess who the all, you know, the, the, those who are being sanctified are here? That's you, that's me. That's us. We set our eyes on the originator and perfecter of our faith. So what does this fellowship look like? What does this fellowship look like? It's abiding in Jesus. Right here, let's go to the next slide. There's a phrase in the New Testament, um, and it's, it's, it's phrased in three different ways. In Christ, in the Lord, and in Him. The Apostle Paul uses it over, uh, at least 160 times in the New Testament. If it's repeated a few times, you should pay attention. If it's repeated 160 times, that means it's pretty darn important, right? Um, what is he talking about there? He's talking about fellowship with the Lord. He's talking about what Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, you know, hours before Jesus was going to be betrayed and handed over to be crucified. Let's go to John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch, that's you, Christian, <laughs> every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So you never, if you're not in him, then you never belong to him. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. That's a description of the Christian life. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself but must remain in the, van, in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do what? Nothing. It's a, this is what it means to be in him. Like the, 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 the natural place for the, for the true Christian to be is in Jesus. And we could do nothing apart from him. 
John, the, the, uh, Paul said something very similar. I actually talked, I highlighted this passage last week, I believe. But, every, but whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as lost because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus, right? For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ. The English translations, by the way, for that word rubbish is um, uh, it's a sanitized, <laughs> watered-down uh, translation for what the word actually means. Use your imagination. Okay, so, and may be found in him, in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen, that I, let's read this together, ready? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. At this time, the worship team can come up and, and um, prepare us uh, to lead us in song, but like this is the truth. Jesus said, the one who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and the one who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and the one who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it, and the one who has lost his life on my account will find it. That's what it is. That's, 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 that's a description of the, the fear of the Lord that grows out of an understanding of who he is, faith and fellowship, abiding in him, abiding in him. There's the, the three F words of the Christian life. Fear, faith, fellowship. You know, this is true of every Christian, every true Christian. And so, I just want you to just think about that. Like, this is not rocket science. <laughs> we are called into relationship with this God. We are, we are invited to know him. And as we grow in our understanding of who he is, <laughs> we will find ourselves beginning to trust him more and more. And as we trust him, we find ourselves in fellowship with him. These all overlap. And is that a, the, the sweet spot, brothers and sisters? The sweet spot is union with him. It's union with him. It's walking in step with him. Is, is, this is where our purpose and our identity is discovered. This is, this is, this is satisfaction. This is, this is where joy flows out of it. That fellowship with him, the one who made us in his image to know him. We're going to sing a song, and when you're ready, uh, you can join in and sing. But um, during, this, during this song, if you, uh, whenever you're ready, take the bread, symbolizing the body of Christ, and... Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.